Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Slice Up Your Life. I'm your host, Rach Bedell, and if you follow me on social or have listened to a couple of these, you've probably been able to tell I miss my Oasis family so much, but I was able to have a really fun, authentic conversation with another one of my friends from there named Joey. He is an ER nurse at Northwestern Hospital in Chicago, and we talk about the craziness of just this time and also trying to be an adult and live this life to the best of our ability. But we also talk about one topic that I've been diving deep into, and that is gender roles, all thanks to this book I've been reading called Bald at Heart. But yeah, it's just an open conversation, and I hope y'all enjoy this conversation with Joey. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Good to hear your voice. I miss you. I know, miss you. How I heard it's a crappy day in Chicago today. It is... It has been well. I've been asleep most of the day. That's true. But it is. It is uh, monsooning, to say the least. Good. Which is like actually perfect sleeping weather. Yeah, it's really good for sleeping. Really good for sleeping. Really good for my grass in my backyard. Although it's been raining a lot, so I'm like, I don't know how much rain I want. (laughs) How did you even decide that you wanted to buy a house? Well, I was kind of, uh, that's a good question. I was kind of like at a crossroads with my life, you know, Um, which is silly to say because we're at a crossroads with our life every day. Like, what are we going to do today? What choices are we going to make? Things like that. (laughs) Um, But I was deciding whether or not I wanted to go back for more school uh, um, or invest in my future a different way. Um, I don't really like school, but I also... I'm young enough and I know I'm not like done growing and challenging myself. So I wanted to be faithful with a little bit I did have and kind of um, invest that in my future. And so I decided I don't like school and, and I'm not good at school, so I should do something else. And I really like the idea of renting out properties and um, managing properties and stuff like that. So I used the little bit I had bought this house and um it's been fun and uh, yeah that's kind of why the reason i bought a house is because i didn't want to go back to school that is the reason <laughs> did you have to go so, your schooling for your job now uh no so i just did a four-year bsn undergraduate degree so straight out of high school um i didn't know exactly what i wanted to do but i knew i wanted to be in medicine so nursing was a good option for that so i have three older sisters two of which um, went the nursing route. And then they went. On, they have gone on for more school. One is a CRNA, and one got her PhD in nursing research, um, kind of went the public health route. And so they kind of blazed the trail for me that nursing is a really good career that opens up a lot of options. You can work in nearly every field of medicine. So that was really attractive to me as a young kid. I was like, yeah, nursing, let's do that. Um, and I think I've kind of found my niche in emergency medicine. And that was one of the another reason I didn't want to go to school is because I really like what I do now. Mm-hmm. My fir- the first year of my career, I didn't love what I did. Uh, it was kind of mundane to me. So this kind of, you know, being in a position that I enjoy and working with people I like with, I was like, I don't want. Re- I'm not eager to change that. However, I still want to be diligent um, with my money financially and whatever else. So yeah, um, that's what I did. And it's been a lot of work, you know, fixing this place up, um, but it's, but it's mine. So it's easy to do and take pride in, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, speaking of going into nursing and changing to ER medicine, so 
Was that like a rotation or did you decide then you wanted to go into ER nursing? So when I started my career, I didn't really know. So we kind of got to explore everything in nursing school a little bit, very minusculely. Um, and I pretty much just took the first job I could when I moved to Chicago. Cause when I moved up here with Oasis, I was like, I'll do anything. I just want to be in Chicago. And initially I was having a hard time finding a job. So um, I was applying to ICUs and all over. I was even thinking about doing peds and working at a children's hospital, but ultimately I just took the first job they gave me and it was on uh, a community hospital on the South side on a cardiac telemetry floor which is like, um, you know, in, inpatient unit. And mm-hmm. that was fine. It, it was it was a good experience to work in that community on the south side of Chicago, like 147th in Sibley. So I was in the wild 100s. Um, definitely a really cool uh, patient population. Um, but the work itself was a little mundane for me. I was working nights and just a lot of passing meds. And I don't know, it was slower. It was slower for me. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about my personality, I'm very much, I want to go, 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 go. Yeah. So after a year of that, with a little experience under my belt, I was ready for something new, whether it was something a little more critical in an ICU or um, even just somewhere closer downtown um, to where I live was kind of the appeal. But I, I got this gig at Northwestern in the emergency department. And uh, I'm really glad I went the emergency medicine route opposed to the ICU route because um, intensive care is very, like, uh, um, detail-oriented, um, which is good. But that's also not my personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the emergency department, we kind of patch them up, send them up, you know, stabilize and move them through, um, which is definitely more my personality as well. Yeah. Um, not, that I, not that I don't care about the details as well because that's very important, but... <laughs> Well, you're getting if the job done. Any... You're like in the adrenaline of it all. Like, okay, let's go. And then you can kind of like, yeah. and you said, you, we've talked about this before where it's kind of weird because you like, like you said, you patch them up and then you either like send them off to surgery or do whatever. You kind of never know the end story of your patients. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, uh, that is something you don't, I didn't realize took such a toll on me until honestly, a couple months ago, I took care of a patient who, um, was, uh, you know, in critical condition, we set, sent them up and, you know, it was an intense situation, but they were alive when they left. And then a couple of weeks later, I, I ended up hearing their story. They ended up living and without giving up too much details, they like received a full lung transplant and all that stuff. But they ended up showing up in our ER later. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, it's good to see you. It's good to see you're doing well. I'm sorry you're back here. But, mm-hmm. and we got to talk about like his journey and experience of getting a lung transplant and um you know he doesn't remember anything that happened in the emergency department but i remember speaking to his wife and she remembered me and uh he was very grateful and we got to talk about the whole experience and it was i don't know it's, it's cool to have that closed loop because especially in emergency medicine we don't often get that so i was really grateful for that experience um yeah to, uh, kind of see the fruit of our labor you know what i mean yeah i feel like you have to compartmentalize a little bit more or differently, I guess. Yeah, totally. And in some aspects, I think that can make you jaded and tough. Um, Especially with all the bull crap we deal with on a daily basis, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's, you know, in in some part of the job, you need that, obviously, because you need to do your job and do it well. And you don't always have time to get caught up on things. But yeah. Yeah, I think being able to compartmentalize is the best way to put it, you know. Is there ever a time that you'd want to get to a city 
that isn't Chicago in ER or do you like because I can only imagine being in the ER in Chicago is a lot different than being ER in a smaller town yeah that is a good question and I've thought about this a decent amount um like I Chicago is definitely my home I love 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 Chicago I've planned some roots here um and I don't know if I'll stay here forever but I definitely want to end up here like if I wanted to do travel nursing or something like that um that's like like sounds really attractive to me you know I just kind of see new things and stuff like that on a on a selfish level Um, but I definitely want to end up back in Chicago um and like you said could be like a smaller hospital um that is also very attractive to me too like working in a smaller hospital kind of because you're you're on your own right now I'm in a big level one trauma center and we have resources out you know up the wazoo and uh so like you know somebody always has your back and you're always going to have what you need and things like that um whereas in smaller community hospitals sometimes it's just you and and another doctor and maybe another nurse and you're doing what you can you know Mm -hmm. um you don't have a pharmacist at the bedside to titrate all your drugs and you don't have a respiratory therapist to help you set up ventilators and different things like that so we we have a lot of resources which is awesome to have that exposure but also sometimes I feel like maybe I use as a crutch in terms of like my nursing skills and things like that yeah so that that's definitely been a thought like to go to a smaller hospital and to be more uh independent in a in a sense but even so there's there's small hospitals here in Chicago in the neighborhoods and what else that are definitely in that same boat where they don't have the resources yeah yeah because you're like a huge mega hospital and you just like don't know how good you have it until you're not there (laughs) oh exactly yeah and so I did work at a small hospital and we weren't I I wasn't necessarily in emergency medicine but I know what it's like to not always have things when you want them and it's really frustrating but at the same time it makes you a better nurse (laughs) for sure how is this time affecting you guys with like COVID (laughs) like how are you doing and how is well yeah wow well it's definitely been a crazy few months that is for sure um the hospital is well, like I said, we are lucky to have really good resources. And I've, I think I've been luckier than a lot of other places where I've been impressed with our management and administration that like we have handled and we were like early to the ball. Like we change, we've changed how we do almost everything, just our patient flow and precautions we take to protect ourselves and protect other patients. Um, because taking care of these patients creates a whole new uh like a whole new obstacles that we have to overcome just in terms of um, especially as we were learning about the virus we didn't know what interventions helped and Mm -hmm. what interventions were too dangerous for even us to do because certain things we could do could spread the virus more so um uh so how are we doing uh we're well i think um (laughs) Like I said, we never got hit as hard as places like New York. So we were, we overprepared and we were ready for the surge, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, just from overstaffing and getting all the um, resources, like allocating resources to, in order to protect ourselves and hopefully best serve these patients that were critically ill and stuff like that. Um, but we never hit that surge. So it's like, while when we do get these critical patients, like we're able to take care of them well. Yeah. But we're not like taking care of like thirty at a time, running mm-hmm. around like with chickens, chickens with their heads cut off. So, mm-hmm. 
Um, I would say we're doing well. I think there's a, there's an added level of stress where, um, you know, we're worried about when we leave work, right? Yeah. Am I going to catch the virus? Am I going to give it to my family? Am I going to, um, you know, am I going to be able to see my friends again? Am I going to be able to ever get back to normal life? Because so much of what we do is stressful even before this virus, right? But we yeah. were able to go home and we were able to see friends and relax and, you know, whatever, live our lives and um, recoup in different ways. But now with this social distancing where, where we go to work and we come home, like everybody else, like we're not alone in this. Everybody else is in the same problem where we come home and it's like, okay, now what? You know what I mean? Yeah, but you're, I, I mean, and I'm projecting because I don't know what it's like. I stay uh-huh. inside my house all day, but you kind of need a little bit I would feel that you would need a little extra of like a reset and you guys that's a probably a way to help compartmentalize is you're able to totally. like go see friends go hang out and like get like a refill and you guys totally. don't get that right now and you're constantly having to be on for all these people so I, there is I think a difference for you guys because one you don't have your refill and two once you go home that stress continues to carry with you, whereas usually you can leave your work at work. Right. I'm, I'm adapting at work, and then I'm adapting at home mm-hmm. of how I'm going to, like, um, recharge, keep busy, be productive, whatever else, um, or, or rest. Like, we all have to rest differently yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's been a challenge. And initially, for me, I'm, like, a super people person. I'm super busy, busy, like we talked about. So... When I was initially, um, all this started and I had some time to myself, I was like, whoa, this is like really healthy for me. I'm like forced to just rest. I was like, okay, I'm going to sit here and watch Netflix for three hours and I'm not going to feel bad about it. Yeah. In fact, like I, and it like just brought a lot of peace and rest to, (laughs) to my soul. You know what I mean? I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, this is like really cool and challenging in a certain way, but also like really beneficial for me. And that was true for a little while. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's and like the it like, stage. And then you're like, okay, this is, I'm done. Yeah, exactly. Then I was like, well, that's like the key to a healthy life, I guess, is just balance in anything and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's definitely, I, I'm ready for this to be over. <laughs> well, also you kind of, and you can talk about this more if you want to, but you don't have mm-hmm. to. You... Mm-hmm had the early forced quarantine before all of us really had that. Like none of us were really on quarantine and you were on a yeah. forced like actual quarantine. You can't <laughs> even go to like, you weren't even really supposed to go anywhere. I was like, go for a run. And you're like, I feel bad. Like I'm really not supposed to go anywhere. So yeah. like you had a whole different or an earlier stage to this, I guess, than the rest of us did at a more extreme level. I did. I did. And that was like a, that was like a weird experience too. So, um, cause I didn't like to explain, I took care of, uh, one, our, our hospital's first coronavirus patient before we had really seen it hardly at all in the United States. And, uh, I was like totally unprotected because we weren't taking these certain precautions quite yet. And this person presented really atypically and we kind of found the virus on accident. Some of our other symptoms were, um, just not usual. And then when we discovered that she did end up having coronavirus. I got a call like four days later. It was my managers and they were talking with our um, uh, employee health officials and the state of Illinois trying to track down anybody who had been in contact with this patient and like 
kind of ordering them to go home and stay home for the next, for me, it was 10 days because it was like four days later, even though I'd been out and about for like four days or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, go home and stay home for the next 10 days. And they were watching my symptoms very closely. And I never had any symptoms, but I was stuck at home by myself prior to everyone else being stuck at home. And so I was like watching the news and obviously being in contact with everybody else. And by the time I was able to go back to work, the whole world had shut down. It was like really bizarre to sit at home and and be like, oh, I'm quarantined, blah, blah, blah. And then like watching as like everything started to shut down. Like I was watching basketball when they canceled the NBA season and seeing them cancel March Madness. And I was like, what is going on? Like, because when I came inside three days ago, like the world was pretty much normal. It was just me. And uh, and then I've seen the world completely shut down. And then by the time I came out, everyone else is inside. And it was super weird to like go back to work and um, not be able to be social again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that you're right. That was a weird experience. Um, I, I remember talking to you in the beginning and being like, when they canceled March Madness and both you and I were so pissed but then we're like, oh, okay, now, like now looking back, I'm like, okay, it makes sense. But at the time, we never knew it would have been like this, that we were all going to be quarantined to our homes. But I just remember both of us being insanely bummed out. I remember being like, this is stupid. Like, this is, this is wrong. This is criminal. Like, what's the point of living without March Madness? It was, yeah, it was one of those, and obviously I have a better understanding now, but I was like, you can't just cancel Christmas. Seriously. So, like, how are you going to cancel March Madness? Um, obviously, in hindsight, we've seen, you know, the devastation of the virus. So, it's like. I get it uh, now. But just to prove a point. It's like, still, we did it's not, still not okay. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah, still yeah. would love March Madness. But at the time, we didn't understand why. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm still not okay with it. Like, yeah. I feel like my life is passing me by. My youth is slipping through my fingers. You know, well, it's just gonna be. So I only weird. have like eighty years of March Madness in my life, and <laughs> if you take one of those precious, precious marches away from me, like it's I'm gonna sad. be mad about it. But <laughs> at least we have the last dance. I mean, I feel like that's like it doesn't supplement yes. for it by any means, but at least gives us some form of really good basketball. Yeah, absolutely. I'll take it. That's been entertaining for sure. <laughs> um, one but, thing I wanted to ask, and it. It might be something that you've, you have or haven't thought about like during COVID, but what would you say like something you've learned or know about God now that you did it before being like in the ER? I just feel like you see so much, like, have you learned anything about like even just believing or like who God is from being in those situations? Yes, definitely. And one thing I said, and I said this even before the virus, right? was like, I always thought my theology would view how I, um, or my theology would shape how I view my career, right? Mm -hmm. And like what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, all that stuff. I never thought that my career would shape my theology. Um, And uh, just because, like we all know, like in life there's suffering and, you know, we're faced with these big questions like, is God good and stuff like that. But when you're, when you see that firsthand and, and then you had, and you're forced to, you're not forced to, but you, and then you go to church and then you sing about how God is good. And you're like, 
whoa, there's a, there's a whole nother level of surrender there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another level of, I don't understand, but I know in my heart of hearts and I've um, seen through history that while it's ugly, it's good. And if mm-hmm. I don't, and if I don't think it's good and if I don't think it's fair or just, um, it's not something that's wrong with God, right? It's something that's wrong with me and wrong with my heart. Mm-hmm. And that's something I'm learning every day. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've definitely learned like a deeper, deeper level of surrender to God's sovereignty and God's um, control, right? Yeah. Um, and that would probably make a lot of people mad, right? To even say that mm-hmm. and be like, how are you okay with that? Um, and that's a question I am faced with every day in my relationship with God. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's definitely been a learning curve there. And especially with the virus, right? The mm-hmm. conversation in the church has been, well, what is God doing? Mm-hmm. Is God, you know, like, is God in control? And is can we trust a God that would allow this to happen, you know? And these are like really, really good, healthy conversations to have because so oftentimes we get into faith and we jump into our Christianity and we're like, wow, this is great because God's love and kindness is so good. But what does that mean when the rubber hits the road? Yeah. You know? And I think something that we've talked about a lot, like in O groups and stuff is, and obviously Pastor JP talks about this too, is it's like, it's okay to question him and it's almost good too. Cause that's how you form like a real relationship. Like you don't yeah. have real relationships with friends or like, obviously like partners and things like that, where you don't challenge each other and you're not, yeah. and not to say that you're like testing God, but in a sense of being like, Hey, what's going on? Like you can ask him and like even have your doubts, but to be able yeah. to like put those on the table. And then the more that you sift through those, the more of a stable ground that you can kind of go off of because you have your answers. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and and he's oftentimes not going to give you the answer you like, or even an answer, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> a lot of so many times. But <laughs> ultimately, answers. ultimately, hopefully, he's you know in that process, you are getting sanctified and you are being changed, and and uh, we are becoming more repentant people and more living more surrendered lives, right? And. Uh, that's that's a beautiful mystery, I guess. <laughs> and I think the one thing that I've talked to a lot of people about is a lot of the times, like, he does answer, but he answers so much later down the road that, one, we don't even notice, or two, that's when you're like, oh, that's why you didn't answer or you didn't open this door or you made me go yeah. through that so that I would have this answer for, like, later on. It's like a lot of oh my stuff. Gosh. It's all a puzzle piece that once it all put together, it makes sense, but in the middle yeah. of it, like, none of it, nothing seems to fit. Oh my gosh, so true, Rachel. We are so dumb too. It's so easy to like look look back at like five years ago or two years ago or last month and be like, oh my gosh, like can't I just be can't I just be disciplined or can't I just be like smarter or like yep. <laughs> less de- less destructive to my own uh, soul. <laughs> well, yeah, and so I know you grew up in a Christian home too, but yeah, and you you mentioned that you like moved with Oasis, but. Can you talk to me a little bit about like that transition of college and finding Pastor JP and the whole Oasis fam? Yeah, totally. So yeah, I grew up in an amazing Christian home and honestly, praying parents and praying sisters, I know is the only reason I (laughs) um, walk with the Lord today because 
Uh, I've felt their prayers in my life, right? I've been very lucky. Um, and, you know, it's not just mommy and daddy's religion either. At some point, you have to make it your own. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in high school, we talked about I was kind of maybe you could call a rebel child. and But by the end of my senior year, I was like, look, I've tried to live this double life where I'm like a Christian, but also doing whatever the heck I want. And, you know, I'm I'm done with it. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be walking with you, Jesus, but I have no idea what that looks like in reality. So I ended up going to a smaller school to play sports and stuff like that, opposed to like a bigger school where I knew the um, draw to other things would definitely be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like my moral and conscious, like, this is what I'm going to do for Jesus and my soul, right? Which is pretty silly. Um, but, uh, and then when I got to Christian school and then like didn't figure out my life out right away it was like a little frustrating there's always a process to think and that's Mm -hmm. a lesson there's that's a lesson in itself um but yeah I was able to get connected in the local church and that's when I like learned about what community is and it's not like I didn't grow up in a good church either but I was able to get connected with people who were living every day for Jesus and using their hands and feet to um help others serve others and know him more and uh Whenever you do that, especially in community, it's going to be ugly, right? There's going to be disagreements and there's mm-hmm. going to be um, challenges. But it was a it was a really cool, beautiful community where I was able to do that. And it allowed me to get real with my faith and, um, yeah, start taking my faith as my own and be real with the Lord. So that was, a, that was cool. And then my senior, was it my senior? It might have been my junior year, honestly. I don't know. JV was actually my RD. But as I was a trouble, like resident director, but as I was a troublemaker, even in college, like I did my best to not know any authority figures. Um, but by the time I was uh, a little more serious about my faith and a friend was like, knew I was passionate about urban ministry and um, stuff like that. Just being in the city, building the church. She was like, well, you got to get lunch with JP. And I was like, oh, I know who JP is. Um, so I, you know, I hit him up, I called him up and then uh, we got lunch and he told me about what him and Rachel were doing at Oasis and, uh, stepping out in faith to um, reach uh, the communities here in the Southwest side of Chicago. And I was all about it. I was like, yep, sign me up. Where do I, where do I join? Let's do this. Um, So that was, that was really cool. And they have, they took me under their wing and um, we've, uh, we moved up here to Chicago. They moved before me a couple months and then I graduated and that's why I took the first job I could (laughs) and moved in with JP's younger cousins, Alex and Zach and uh, we started doing life together. We started doing church, and uh, it was really cool. It was a really cool uh, journey to be on with them um, and the rest of the, the Oasis family. Yeah, um, it was it was not quite what I expected, obviously, because there uh, there was some pride in my heart too that the Lord had to work out because I was like, I'm gonna move to Chicago, be a char- part of this church plant, and I'm gonna be, you know leader in the church and all respect from you know jp and jordan and andrew and i'm gonna be you know mm-hmm. but also as i started my career i realized i wasn't able to be as involved in certain ways as i wanted to or pridefully would have liked to be in like leadership positions or whatever else and so that the lord had to work on my heart in that way too and say like uh i've called you to your career as well and that's been a transition for me too because like 
the Lord was like, no, 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 you're way too prideful to. <laughs> We're <laughs> to gonna take this. a little bit of this away. <laughs> so put your head down, do some work, love people well, um, and stop caring about the approval of others, whether it's your whether it's your pastor or, um, you know, whatever else, and start living in, um, I don't know, living humbly and, you know, cause this isn't about you. Like if you're going to build my kingdom, it's not going to be about you. Yeah. And that's so that was, that, that was a hard pill to swallow, but a very needed pill to swallow. And there's, that was a really cool lesson I learned a couple years ago. <laughs> well, that's just like the, just the when you said that right now, like you, even the approval like of your pastor and it seems so innocent cause you're like, it's my pastor. Like I of course want their approval because you know, like they're a man of God and like they're a great leader but you're still seeking approval of man, no matter yeah. how like high or much of a pedestal we put them on. That is yeah. literally still just an idol. Totally, totally. And especially as it became like more of my social group and stuff like that, it was like, it was more of a social thing than I cared about other people and building the kingdom of God. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was, that was like looking back a cool lesson that I had to be humbled by and, um, yeah, it's also helped me lean into my career in a healthier way, I think, you know? Yeah. It's crazy to think about too. Cause at that time, JP was like probably in between our ages or near our age when like he moved to Chicago. And so I can't yeah. imagine myself being in his position. Yeah. And that's what was super cool and initially attractive and like so awesome and healthy for me joining that community of people is like here's a group of young people stepping out in faith to serve the lord and i was mm-hmm. like that was like so cool to be a part of in just all their authenticity and vulnerability to be like lord we want to know you and we want to worship you and as a result that builds um that's how you that's how you build the church yeah and so since then we've kind of seen oasis like explode and i'm learning how many of my friends i didn't know two years ago. I was like, Whoa, kind of crazy. Yeah. Three years ago, even, you know, for sure. And like how it, I obviously wasn't there from the beginning of Oasis, but I've heard that mm-hmm. a lot of stuff started on zoom calls. So how is it seeing it yeah. kind of be a little bit, not full circle. Cause we're not ending with zoom calls, hopefully. Yeah. Not, yeah. Like, <laughs> but how is it kind of reverting back to like the beginning way? Oh my gosh, Rachel, I did, I did not even think about that. Oh my gosh, that is kind of crazy because, yeah, as JP and Rachel, I think, moved to Chicago first and then Andrew and Holly and Jordan and Bree and Zach. I don't even know if you know Zach. Like Zach I was still I met him once, yeah. He's Alex's older Zach brother. Zach was still, yeah, in like Florida or the suburbs at the time and we were we were just meeting and praying about it and I didn't even know these people super well. Um, but we were meeting and praying about the move and the people we were going to meet. And, um, wow, I didn't even think about this. That's crazy. <laughs> and now here we are, everybody's stuck at home and we're, um, back to that same prayer request, like the mm-hmm. people we're going to meet and, um, the ways we're going to change our communities and how we're going to know God more. Wow. That is really cool. Well, and too, because like we literally just moved into Hope. Like for yeah. us to be able to like, whenever we get to go back into those doors, I feel like it's just going to be such a huge reset 
for our church and our Oasis family. So crazy because I remember when we were even doing the monthly gatherings, like we were just excited to get together. We were excited to get together and then like tell a bunch of strangers about Jesus (laughs) and come join our church because we're doing church. Um, And wow, I think we're definitely going to kind of maybe have that same mentality like when we're going to be so excited to just get back together Mm -hmm. and worship jesus that's really cool i'm excited to have that um fire in my belly again and you because of this conversation i have it right now so that's so cool (laughs) okay i'm giddy like i just want to go and like be with all these people not that we need it but it's like such a huge awesome thing that like jp and rachel have created that like it's awesome that we still desire that yeah yeah, and I was reading something by J uh, James K A Smith last night about how like you would think the virus itself would diminish communities, but we've seen how the church has mm-hmm. um, uh, just almost has this renewed sense of community and like the creative ways that we're achieving that. Not just like whining about being apart and like desiring to be back together, but like ways we're creating new ways to connect to each other and and connect in fellowship and ultimately meet with the father through that fellowship which is which is really cool because we all want things to go back to normal mm-hmm. but i also think it's healthy to like acknowledge that maybe we shouldn't go back to the way things were yeah you know what i mean mm-hmm. like because there's so many things maybe we could leave behind whether you know in society but also like in our in our church life, you know, like how do we not become consumers where we're just sitting in front of a screen or go to church on Sundays, but how are we going to like um, be a part of the church and not just consume from the church? Yeah. And have it not just be like the Sundays and Wednesdays and like, how are you pushing in? And to, I think connecting more so like having to do these other things like pre-church coffee and like you have to put in an extra effort, I feel like to be with each other um and so like it not just being routine i guess too 100 percent. what does it mean to do life together and keep each other accountable yeah and um push each other towards holiness right yeah and just and because i think like too we have like small groups and we have times that we're we are vulnerable with each other but i think in definitely times like this when nothing feels normal to go back mm. to like the one, one stable ground, like there's only one stable thing in our lives um, yeah. or constant thing, I guess I should say. And to yeah. like remind each other of that and be able yeah. to be a family enough to keep each other accountable for that. Absolutely. But, that, is, that is so cool. Um, that is so cool. One random question because mm-hmm. I don't know why. This this whole gender roles has been on my mind lately, and it's probably because I'm reading Whoa. this book. What? This is a big topic. This is a big topic. We won't go fully into deep. Okay, all right, all right. But I'm reading this book called Wild at Heart, and it's like really. Yes. Oh my god, I'm obsessed. Like I literally twice. can't get over it, and but I've also been thinking about like. So so you think you know me now, huh? You I don't know. No, I'm only like halfway through the book, so maybe in a couple of days. <laughs> but also too like I've been thinking about like female gender role and like especially in the church and Mm -hmm. especially after like Mother's Day and Rachel's message and things like that 
I was just curious as being a guy with sister, like only sisters, and then working in a community <laughs> that is predominantly women. Yeah. How is that for you? Like, I don't, yeah, I, I'm going to open it just to that. And then if I follow up questions, I will. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will start. My sisters are amazing, right? So they are the very like strong headed, um, power, like, powerful, strong-willed, brilliant. They're all very smart, right? So they've mm -hmm. been like very successful in their careers and everything else. Um, but they're also, they also care very deeply about uh, scripture and the Bible and Jesus and like um, knowing Jesus and, and fulfilling those. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how to say this well, because I don't want to say it wrong, but like um, fulfilling their calling as, as, as women of God, right? Mm -hmm. And what does that look like in the church? and what that looks like in their marriages. Um, so I've, I've, I've been blessed to have them as an example of like, okay, sometimes, and this is like true of every aspect of the Christian walk, sometimes uh, we don't always get what we want, right? Yep. <laughs> and ultimately when you're in God's will, that is the most hedonistic thing you could do like that is the most like self-serving thing you could do because it's the best thing for you mm -hmm. um so there's that weird uh irony there um uh gender roles i work with women yes uh i love women women are great they make <laughs> amazing they make amazing doctors and nurses um and so that's been cool to work alongside these women that I like deeply respect um, and see how they can do all those things that Rachel talked about. Like they're amazing at fostering a relationship and they're amazing at fostering redemption. I think about all the female doctors and nurses I work with that like are, you know, their hands and feet are bringing about redemption physically, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's cool to see. I love that book you're reading. I read it twice because it absolutely reads my mail when it comes to like the heart of man of how we are looking for adventure mm -hmm. and um, we want purpose, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, we want to be a part of the amazing story that God is writing. Um, I think that desires inside of every human, whether you know it or not. Um, but it just manifests, manifests differently in I think male and females, because I, I might be burned at the stake for saying this, but I think men and women are different. Yeah. Totally, totally equal in value and uh, um, and significance. And we see that all over scripture. Mm -hmm. um, but we're different in what we can bring to the table. Um, and I think uh, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing because diversity in anything whether it's beliefs or culture or abilities when you bring diversity you get so much more mm -hmm. than what you would have otherwise so yeah. and again i gotta be careful how this, how i say this because i don't want to offend or say the wrong thing even but i have no interest in men and women being the same <laughs> no, <laughs> really yeah you know like mm -hmm. i'm cool with us being different and uh 
bringing different things to the table to create um, beautiful things, whether that's in a workplace or in a family or in a church or in any type of community. Um, yeah, the, the problem comes in is when we don't respect and value the pieces that each gender has to bring to the table. Yeah, I would agree. Did I say that okay? I don't no, know. If you I did. You did. I think because I think too, it's been something that I've been thinking of because I think to be completely honest, like I felt a little um, heaviness on my heart before the Mother's Day message because I was like, why don't women have a bigger role in the church? And I think there are mm. still areas where like women can have not bigger roles. I don't know, diff- but to that point, it was different. Yeah. And I think that's totally. what I had to realize is it's like, it's not Ooh. necessarily, I don't need to be like, I don't need a female lead pastor, but like there are places to have um, different roles. And I think that's something that I'm starting to figure out. And that, this is, this is an amazing point that are equally as valuable and should be valued as much. You know what I'm saying? Because whether your head pastor is male or female, if it's revolving around them and their value is more so than any congregant, right? Something's wrong there. Yeah. Something's super wrong. And so, yeah. Okay. Keep going. Cause you were, you were absolutely hitting the nail on the head in my opinion. Keep going. I, and so that's just something that I've like been having to realize. And I think too, in a sense of under just understanding like what you can bring to the table and like, to your point, it is equal while not like diminishing the other. Like I do think there are certain aspects where like women need more equality, but not to say that, that, then yeah, men, totally. that men then need to be diminished or need to be demoted for it too you know i feel like there there is a way to create equality and balance while like you said like respecting each other and i think that there is difference with man and woman and i think it's something i didn't fully understand meaning for marriage that book by timmy k like Mm -hmm. kind of taught me a little bit but wild at heart like for sure i'm like i'm literally telling every human to read this book but i'm it's so crazy coming from a girl amazing well, You're the only girl I know that's read, read this book. I think it just gives oh. such a good perspective. And again, too, like I'm only like half of the way through, but gives a really good perspective of like of men. And I think as a female to make sure to not put like men in a corner, like we tell men all the time at the time, or we tell boys no all the time growing up, but then yes. it's, it's not necessarily because then I feel like they're either too passive or then they rebel and it's a matter of just teaching yes. how to use your aggression and your desire for danger and your like all these things that are within a man's heart to use them the right way. Right. Um, so I just was curious. I, lo- I love how that book talks about, you know, you look at the church in America today and you see a bunch of oh weak my men. Mm-hmm. I love that part. Entire or, women. Yeah. Trying to get their men to wake up. Mm-hmm. Um, and do something legendary. Um, But at the same time, you know, society is, and everybody is kind of to blame here that we've like told men behave, behave, obey the rules, um, do what you're told and don't, don't ruffle anybody's feathers. And that's ultimately what's valuable in in society. And sometimes somehow that's leaked into the church and been like, that's what's valuable in the church. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. And when he pointed that out, that was like liberating. And to your point, it's like you're supposed to be a guy in the church. You're supposed to fit this mold of being the quote unquote nice guy. 
but that like hushes so many things that like God made us. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. I obviously a hundred pages and I don't have men figured out, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Let me know when you do. Um, That's something I was thinking about when you're saying that. It's like, we are supposed to yield the truth, right? With kindness and gentleness. Mm -hmm. However, the truth will almost always be offensive. Yeah. (laughs) So what does that look like to live in truth? It's not going to be... Clean and pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still definitely probably not the expert on this topic. Um, and I don't know if I said it, I said everything right there, but, um, well, you, and you, you, you some of my thoughts as a male nurse, yeah, you (laughs) phrase yourself too. You're like, I don't mean this offensively. And I think a lot of it too, is it's like, if people can understand, if you're just trying to speak from your heart and not mean it with any ill intent, like how people perceive it then is on them. Yeah, I guess, I guess, I hope so. And we're all just trying to figure it out. So if I said something wrong, please have grace with me. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, well, I only have one last question for you. Okay. Um, What's since that? the podcast is called Slice Up Your Life, what is yeah. your favorite slice of pizza? Okay. This is the conversation I love to have because, <laughs> the, like I said, the truth will always be offensive. And <laughs> Gosh, this, is going, this, is, this is going to offend some people. But give me that pineapple, give me that ham, and let's eat some Hawaiian pizza because that is um, that's a match jam. made in okay. that's a match made in that's a match made in heaven. Um, two things that will definitely be in heaven is Hawaiian pizza and college basketball. Oh, for um, sure. You're not going to convince me otherwise. <laughs> is there a place in Chicago that you get Hawaiian pizza from, uh, or anywhere that you like crave? I can't I can't think of one specifically off the top of my head in Chicago where I get Hawaiian pizza. I am a huge Chicago style pizza fan as well. Um I think my favorite Chicago style pizza has gotta be Lou's. Okay. Um But but no. If you have any recommendations, I'm open and maybe we should um hit that place up soon. Yeah. Oh, honestly, uh Parlor Pizza has some great pizza. They don't always have Hawaiian pizza, but par- I'm a big fan of Parlor Pizza. Um, they always have unique pizzas there as well. I do like Parlor. Parlor is solid. Yeah. Um, but no, all I I said when I get done from quarantine, I'm going to actually go and start trying all of the Chicago places that I have bookmarked. Like, um, yeah, Owen and Engine Engine is on there too. And, yes. Oh my gosh, you um, got to go on a Tuesday. You know about Tuesdays, Tuesdays, right? Yeah, that, it's like a, yes. a burger deal. It's on Tuesday. Right? Yes. Oh my okay. gosh. Yeah. So that's on my list. But if I find a that's Hawaiian place, my favorite bur- that's that's my favorite burger in Chicago. Another offensive statement that's absolutely true. Owen and Engine has the best bur- has the best burger in Chicago. I said awesome <laughs> all, and you're the one that was like, no, you have to go to Owen and Engine. And that's fine. Sometimes people, you know, Ultra Ball is like popular, and people know about it. But you know, there's more out there. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, there's more options. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you know once I have it. I'll give you my official review. Yeah. Totally. Um, well, perfect. That's it. Thanks so much for doing this. Awesome. No problem. This was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, really fun. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad you had fun. <laughs> so we'll talk soon, and hopefully we're together very soon. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed that conversation with Joey. One of my favorite things he said was, put your head down, love people well, and stop looking for the approval of others. And I just really like that. 
but I'm just thankful for Joey and his willingness to be so open on his thoughts as we all try to figure this out. But I know things are starting to open up in certain spaces around the US and I hope everyone is staying safe. I do wanna say a special thank you to Joey and all of those on the front lines protecting us every day. And if you can do something for someone, send a text or give them a call, just do it. In a time where we can't hug, we could all use a little extra love. Well, anyways, that's it for me, you guys. That's it for this episode of Slice Up Your Life. And like Joey said, hopefully we are all together very soon. Bye, y'all.